Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the Rider Rumblings video podcast. I am here, as always, uh, with Murray McCormick, the Rough Riders uh, beat writer. Well, he's not the Rough Riders beat writer. He's the leader post beat writer uh, covering the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And uh, we are discussing, well, we have two things to discuss. The Rough Riders defeated the Hamilton Tiger Cats 30-13 to on Saturday at Mosaic Stadium. And uh, they are now preparing for Saturday's game in Edmonton against the Elks. Murray will be there. I'll be watching on TV with my dog, Candy, who is trying to crash the podcast. You might see part of her there. Um, uh, we're going to kind of split this into two halves. Uh, first, we're going to talk about what we saw on Saturday, and then we're going to talk about what we might see this coming Saturday uh, and what we might hear coming up to this coming Saturday. Candy is making another appearance. There's her tail. Uh, Murr, what did you make of the game uh, on Saturday against uh, Hamilton? Well, Cody Fajardo kind of nailed it right in the top when he said uh, tale of two halves. Kind of a boring, you know, take us back to 2021 kind of first half with the Riders with shorter passes and not a whole lot of offense. To a wide open, exciting, thrilling. Even my mom called. My nine-year-old mom watched the second half and loved it. And she said it was just exciting football, loved the way it ended. It was, I know, even as, it was probably one of the more enjoyable games to watch because of so many ticks, twists and turns. And then, I have to admit, I'm a defensive guy. I like seeing good, strong defense. And the Riders played amazing defense in that game, Rob. I know you're going to look at it a little bit strong, longer than that, but what a defensive outing. Like eight sacks, five turnovers, and they they dominated. They, they literally dominated that game. And good for them because they, they kind of needed it while the offense got going. But kind of jumping on board with the offense is a little early to jump on board with one game. But, you know, they showed a lot of promise in that second half. And, that pass that Cody dropped in the bucket to Shaq Evans on the sideline there was just pure beauty. And that's, I don't think a lot of people are don't think we're giving, well, I think we're getting a lot of credit for it, but I, I really think that was just a, such a beauty of a pass. And it pretty well ignited them for the second half, didn't it, Ralph? Yeah, I mean, it was their first possession of the second half. And on first down, Cody Fajardo would run for six yards. So there they were in a second and four situation. And uh, both Hamilton and Saskatchewan were 0 for 4 in the first half when they were second when it was second down with four or fewer yards to go. And so that's that was their bugaboo in the first half. That was both teams bugaboo in the first half was a failure to convert second and short. And so here they are in second and four and they didn't try to throw short to get the get the get the four yards. They went over the top to uh to uh Shaq Evans who got nicely behind Jamal Roll and made the catch nicely in bounds and I don't think Cody Fajardo has thrown a nicer pass. Uh, no. As a member of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, he threw actually. You know what? In practice last week, he uh, I believe it was Wednesday. He let loose with this bomb down the left sideline to Shaq Evans, and there was lots of ooing and eyeing on the field, and even um, among media types watching practice Wednesday. And uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, that looks like 2019." 
and here they are in the game and they pull off a, a long bomb down the left sideline for, for 41 yards that, that got the offense rolling, got made the game interesting. The Rough Riders still didn't score a touchdown until three minutes remained in the game. But that was the, the pass to Evans was the first of three completions of 20 plus yards in the third quarter for the Rough Riders. And then in the fourth quarter, they had three more of them. So they had six completions of 20 plus yards in that game. And it took them until week five of last season to have that many completions of 20 plus yards. So they, that was all basically the first, you know, 35% of last season was compressed into the first half, the second half of the first game of the year. It was just, it just came out of nowhere. And I think you got to give some credit at some point to Jason Moss, who's taken a lot of bullets uh, during his year plus as a rider, as offensive coordinator, well, actually two and a half years when you go, go back to December of 2019 when he was hired, but they obviously made some uh, interesting adjustments and productive adjustments in the first half. And that's my dog squeaking, my dog squeaky toy, in case you're wondering. Uh, it's I thought it was either Murray's hip making those noises or the dog squeaky, to- squeaky toy, but it, you know, uh, it is the dog. We've talked about the offense. We've talked about the defense. We've got a little chat. Let's get a little love to the special teams. Like well, Brad, some of the Brad, special teams. Some they of have the no special. return game. They have no, it's absolutely <laughs> none. Yeah, I know that. I, I can't just, but well, they had still, no return game in that one game. Yeah. Brett Lowther was perfect. Like, which more can, how much more can you ask him? And uh, Corey Vedic, he set him Vedic. up with great field position. Vedic set up with great field position. Like, you know, the other and the return game is a concern. Like, holy smokes, I didn't see either anybody out there that made to say it's incapable. Well, it's incapable hands. I don't think there's anybody capable of explosions or anything yet. But maybe it'll take. I think time it's a return game it. across the league wasn't that wasn't that good in, in no. the uh, in week one and. Uh, um, there were decent punt returns here and there, none, none of them by the Rough Riders. Kickoff returns, the longest kickoff return in the, across the league in week one was 31 yards, or 33 yards. Yeah. Uh, Jamal Morrow had two kickoff returns for 27 yards. Ideally, you're having getting one kickoff return for 27 yards. Um, there just didn't seem to be much explosiveness, but Jamal Morrow showed last season he's a good returner. They just didn't seem to, they didn't return kicks with any real adeptness. And they fumbled away one of them too on the opening uh play the second half so uh uh, that needs to be addressed but i i i don't think jamal morrow is going to be a liability as a returner no but and i said brett lowther deserved credit for that like five for five kept him in the game outscored the tiger cats yeah what more can you ask some of the kicks didn't have a real degree of difficulty to them but still gotta make them rob still gotta make them a little difference with the narrower hash marks too which i i kind of think makes it a little easier because it doesn't it reduces the angles they're kicking at they're kind of more straight straight down the middle so maybe that's no you remember too i mean it was a tight game for a a long duration and and, uh hamilton had a field goal attempt hit an upright at the end of the first half so uh, at that point i mean it should have been a tie game going into the dressing room uh but hamilton missed the field goal the riders didn't and that gave the riders a a, um a a narrow lead going into halftime so yeah brett lother is just he's he's as you know we've we've seen this act before uh with someone named ridgeway and Mm -hmm. And Dred Lothar is approaching that level of reliability. I'm not sure we'll ever see Dave Ridgway type reliability again. When you look at how good he was, how proficient he was, and for, for the duration. But uh, Brett Lothar, I I can't think of a, a rider kicker other than Dave Ridgway who's been that reliable. Paul McCallum's best kicking was done elsewhere. Uh, Luca Kanji had some pretty good years. Chris Milo had one really good year, etc. But Brett Lothar's now strung together 
his 2019 season was a disappointment, but when he had to make a big kick in 2019, he made every pressure kick he had mm-hmm. to make. And uh, 2018, he was money. 2021, he was Brett Lothar again. So uh, we're seeing the way this is trending. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think he does deserve some credit. So where are we trending after this game, Rob? Are we trending, let's plan the parade, or are we trending, let's see what happens next? Well, uh, you know, it's uh, one game. I mean, in 2014, they beat Hamilton in the regular season opener at Mosaic Stadium. They won 31-10. And uh, that season was going really nicely. They were 8-2, and two, and then Darian Durant got hurt, and it you could flush the entire season away. In uh, 1985, the Riders blew Ottawa completely out of uh, out of out of Taylor Field. Had a pile of sacks that day, and they ended up uh, with having a miserable season. So you know, uh, but that wasn't a very good Ottawa team. I think this that was a good Hamilton team that the Rough Riders beat, and we and we saw you know evidence that Hamilton still has a a very good defense, and uh, the Rough Riders eventually solved it. Yeah, I, th- I thought Hamilton's offensive line would be a little better than it was. Or maybe I didn't think the Riders' defensive line could be that good. But they, they had pressure on Dane Evans almost that whole game. And yeah, and it wasn't just a defensive line. I mean, they had they had eight sacks. Five of them were, were by linebackers. I mean, five of them were def- by defensive linemen. And and then Mike Adam had a sack. Um, um, and uh, I mean, that, that, that Adam sack was, was, uh, was, was a pretty important sack. And... Uh, and they just they got pressure from everywhere, and they'd open up blitzing opportunities, and and uh, they just did they did so many things to wreak havoc. And AC Leonard, there was one play he just kind of pushed Chris Van Zyl away with his hand and went in and snuffed out a play, you know. And this is a this is an offensive lineman who's probably going to end up in in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And, and Charleston uh, Hughes got a sack too, didn't he? Yeah, you know, kind of a sack. I mean, it was right at the end of the game. It's sometimes those forced fumble sacks aren't necessarily formal sacks. You know, they aren't in in the truest sense because the quarterback was never tackled. They just knocked the ball out of his hand, uh, and it was in kind of a you know meaningless situation. But Riders used Charleston Hughes well. Uh, yeah. He played, except for Nicholas Daly, he played the fewest snaps of any Rough Rider defensive lineman, just under under fifty percent of them. I think it was forty six percent. I calculated. But they're very being very calculating in how they're using Charleston Hughes, and they're going to be able to get the the most out of a thirty eight year old player uh, because of that. But, and you look at yeah, and you look at the linebackers the way they played. Like oh my goodness, you, know, you look at Sankey's numbers and Moncrief's numbers are not mind blowing, but they were so dominant. Then Larry Dean, Moncrief had that pick. Moncrief had that pick, and the, I was looking at the defensive tackles. Like Mike Adam had eight, and Larry Dean had seven. What a great game for Larry Dean! Like just. I was we're a little worried that he could make that move from middle linebacker to Will with Micah Tights out for a while, but I don't think there's any concerns there right now. Like the way no, they, I mean Larry they, Dean's leading the league after week one, and and he was in on more defensive plays than anybody else in the league. Eleven, yeah. and uh, I'm not sure with this new hashtag hash mark uh, <laughs> rule, Mer, where it, it, with the composition of their linebacking core, he had there not been an injury. Where would they have put Micah Tights anyway? Because how do you sit Sankey, Moncrief, or Larry Dean? I'm not I'm not sure that's a problem or a situation they wouldn't have faced even if Micah Tights had been healthy, because how do you mm-hmm. park any of them on the sidelines? That's a, that's a that's probably the, as good a linebacking core potentially as since the nineteen seventies when they had Cleveland Van, Bill Manchuk, and Roger Goree. 
That's mm-hmm. how good this uh, linebacking core is. All three of them are in the Plaza of Honor. And that's after one game. Like, just imagine what they're going to do this weekend. What see what kind of havoc they can wreak. Well, yeah, the, uh, they should have uh, some fun playing against Edmonton, shouldn't they? <laughs> well, what do we so, do? What? How do? How do you handicap or even like? You and I, we both looked up and saw it was forty something after the first. It was it was the score after the first half? Some crazy wild forty one to something. I wasn't paying much attention because I was yeah. trying to get my writing done, and you were trying to get your story done. But uh, <laughs> and I, I don't think the, I don't think the Edmonton Elks were paying much attention either. No, and then, uh, Chris when he was here, Chris Jones when he was here, things started slowly that first season. He was here too, but I never, I don't remember. They didn't getting, get caked like that. Not like that. And that right out of the gate. And I, I missed it. And I meant to tape the game. I guess he did a halftime interview. And let's give the guy credit. His butt's getting handed to him, and he still does his responsibilities. Now, would the old Chris Jones maybe blown them off? Maybe. I've seen a number of interviews with Chris this, this year that is quite open and candid about things. So maybe he's uh, gotten a little softer in his uh, time. Or maybe that I game. Know. I mean, I... <laughs> The Chris Jones we thought we were getting when he came to Saskatchewan, based upon what it, what had been his history in Edmonton, there had been a bit of a frosty relationship with the media there. And um, I never really had problems dealing with Chris Jones. There were a couple of times when he just would flatly refuse to answer a question. There were times he would he would get a little testy, but they all do. I mean, mm-hmm. Ken Miller was probably the nicest head coach to deal with ever, and that's the head coach who screamed at me during it. During, during, we didn't scream at me. He just got very mad at me. Chris Jones Chris Jones never blew his top in dealing with the with the media in Saskatchewan, and I was, he always had things to say, and he was accessible and, and, uh, and, and was candid. I enjoyed dealing with Chris Jones when he was here. I mean, that's, that's where the moderately successful comment about yeah. Darian Durant came from. It was a sit down with Chris Jones. Yeah. And uh, um, this kind of segues into, I guess, the second half of where we're going, but looking ahead to the Edmonton game. But I'm an old wrestling fan. And what's a wrestling match without a villain? And uh, and I think you need some heat. And Chris Jones gives the CFL that kind of heat. And, uh, and that kind of, you know, almost Don Matthews-like persona. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think the league needs characters like that. I mean, it's Chris, it's Chris Jones and the Edmonton Elks. It's not the Edmonton Elks right now, and uh, and and that's it's when there's that sort of aura around someone, that mystique, whether it's good or bad. I think that creates interest, and and the, the league doesn't really do a lot to build characters. And Chris Jones is a character. He's a presence. Love him or hate him, you know that Chris Jones is in Edmonton, and that becomes a a focal point for a lot. And I don't think he minds it because he also knows that it takes a lot of pressure off his players. I think that's true. And I think he kind of gets the media a little bit. He kind of understands. He just doesn't want you. And what I've said this before a long, long time ago, I realized Chris Jones realizes the media can't help him win a game. So he's kind of treats us. I felt that's where we got treated. Like we were, we were there as Congress, but he's still going to do what he's got to do to win a game. And I think that's what Chris's personality is like. And, I've ne- I never really got to know him, you know that? I never really had, I had like one or two one-on-ones with him and I never really got to, other than scrums and things. So that's one of those you'd like to get on because he's led such a fascinating life. He's done so many things and good or bad. And uh, I think we're going to have to see what he can do this weekend as a coach. And how does he get his guys who we spent, well, all the off season kind of pumping up to get pumped up again after that whooping? I don't, I don't know. How well, sometimes coach- a game like that can... Uh can do it for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, there's nowhere to hide after a game like that. And uh, stranger things have happened. I remember in 19, 
86, I went to Winnipeg. The Riders lost 56 nothing in Winnipeg. And then they beat Winnipeg in the Labor Day Classic that year. So you can go from 56 <laughs> nothing to beating them a few oh. weeks later. Now, this is back-to-back. But uh, um, sometimes it, it, that can be an ornery foe. And those are tough games to prepare for psychologically because you've, a team gets caked 59-15 and uh, you've just beaten a good Hamilton Tiger Cats team. Uh, I think you need a sports psychologist as well as a head coach this week to make sure you go into that game with the right frame of mind. Right. Uh, just take us back to the last weekend's game, Rob. Uh, attendance, you're very curious to see how many people are going to be in seats. What's your assessment of what we saw on Saturday night? Well, you know, I... I could go off on so many tangents with this because I'm a nerd. Um, they they announced 28,002 as a paid attendance. I talked to Craig Reynolds yesterday. The Riders Great Cup tickets go on sale Tuesday or went on sale Tuesday at 10 a.m. So that was the premise for the conversation. But we actually branched off into talking a bit about Riders attendance as it pertained to the Saturday game against Hamilton. And he said about 24,000 people were actually in the stadium out of the 28,000 paid. And the... Um, the vast majority of the people who weren't there, it was a rural. They were, they were. I mean, the people who weren't there were there were no shows. They know where those people come from, and virtually all of them were from rural Saskatchewan, which means farming, and which means gas prices. So um, I still think twenty, whether you're, whether it's twenty four thousand or twenty eight thousand, that's not, a, not not necessarily a bad crowd when you consider everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I mean, it's it looks kind of worse than it is sometimes too because a lot of the fans are able to mingle and uh and that creates some empty seats which doesn't necessarily translate into people not being there but um a couple of frames of reference i'm going to write about that later this later this week but uh the 1993 rider home opener against edmonton riders had a good team don matthews was a head coach ken austin was a quarterback real guard glenn Suter, jeff Fairholm, the whole bobby juris and the whole bit Really good rider team coached by Don Matthews playing against a, an Edmonton team that was coached by Ron Lancaster. And the riders got 17000 for their home opener. Mm-hmm. So um, compared to a paid attendance of 28000 I remember in 79, October 28th, the first time Taylor Field was sold out since expansion, we had 28,012 people. I remember looking and thinking, I never thought I'd see the day when 28,000 people go to a rider yeah. game. Well, here we are. They sold 28,200 tickets for the for the home opener and it's being picked apart. And I'm one of the picker aparters. So I, I'm not deflecting that criticism, but I think all things considered, it wasn't a bad crowd. They, they got 30,000 for, they sold out their first home game last year, but there hadn't been any football for two years. The year before it was 30,000. The year before that it was 29.9 or 29.8. So it's not too far off what they'd like it to be in terms of paid attendance. The tournament attendance, the people, everyone I've talked to have had a blast at that game. They all said it was so much fun. It was so much loud. There's so much partying going on and walking around. And they so also, much elbow they, room. <laughs> hey? Sorry. Sorry. So much elbow room. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we have to joke. mention that. And I know it happens to Winnipeg, too, that people see lots of empty seats and they assume there's nobody there. There's a rum hut area down at one of the end zones. It's just jam-packed. And that's where the people go. Just like Pill Country. Pill Country gets very filled because – it's a social thing. It's not like you and I go in our football games. We're in our seats for the opening kickoff, break at halftime, back in the second half. We don't sort of use it as a social thing. It's we're there to watch football. More and more people are there to have a social time, to go to AGT Lounge, AGT Lounge and have a, a great meal and then sit and chat and stuff. So it's not – the focus isn't entirely on football anymore. It's more on the bigger picture. And I think that's something we have to adjust to by because – 
it may look like there's nobody in the stands, but if I, there are people there, if I, do you know what I mean by that? Yes. Yeah. Now, I mean, there were still almost 10,000 vacant seats, yeah. no matter how you stack at 33,350 seats. And there were about 24,000 there. So there are almost 10,000 vacant seats. So that's, that's gravy. Be, uh, that's money taken into consideration as well. But um, again, I look at these gas prices and I, <laughs> that's a, it's sometimes that's a deterrent to drive up to uplands. It's a deterrent, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to the Regina Red Sox game tonight and I'm thinking, how much is it going to cost me to get from South Regina to Curry Field with gas prices? Now, what if you're coming in for a rider game from Saskatoon, from Prince Albert, from North Battleford? What if you're Govan coming in from Calgary? I mean, my goodness, uh, it's it's quite the expenditure. I'm going out to Kelowna in September for my godson's wedding, and I figure it's going to cost me between four and five hundred dollars of gas to get to it from Kelowna. Now, that's a one time there and back. Granted, an extended distance, but now you're a season ticket holder in Saskatoon. You got to do that nine times. You're a season ticket holder in Prince Albert. You got to do that nine times for like four meaningful regular season games. That's uh, that's quite the price tag. So. Uh, the gas will cost you more than your game ticket, and so that has to be that has to be factored in. I'm sure I'm sure there'll some, be some rider fans driving to, to Edmonton for the game this weekend, though. The yeah, riders Saturday always game. travel well. What are you expecting on on Saturday in Edmonton? Uh, you'll be there. I'll be uh, I'll be in my <laughs> recliner with my dog. I would be very surprised if we saw another outing like the from the Elks we did on against the Lions. I have a feeling Chris Jones is going to have them back playing a little better. I still think the Riders are a better team. Their quarterback situation's far more settled than what's going on in, B, in Edmonton. And I anticipate a, the Riders to keep building. I think Cody is going to build off of that second half and not from the first half. And just, uh, you know, I assume we'll see another strong Rider performance based on that. And the Elks playing a little better on that Saturday night. Because they still, they still can, can you believe they didn't win a game at home last year? Like, I know it's a truncated season, but can you – Ever imagine Edmonton going undef- going without a win at home? That just well, that that Edmonton team that's not surprising, but <laughs> it's going to be interesting because I'm sure it's one of those games where Edmonton. I mean, everybody's writing them off already, and you've got a you've got a head coach and defensive strategist who's got all sorts of neat ideas. So that's going to be a test for the Rough Riders because who knows who Chris Jones is going to be sending and from where. Yeah. And so whereas whereas Hamilton's I think defense is a lot more conventional, they're a lot more reliant on traditionally the you know the front four and they've got Simone Lawrence. You kind of know what Hamilton's going to do defensively. Edmonton is a bit of a clean slate and you got Chris Jones this mad scientist defensively and uh he'll be sending he might send one guy, he might send everybody but uh, the equipment manager. You don't know. Yeah. And so that's going to be an interesting, interesting test for the Rough Riders up front too. You know their they, their pass protection was was terrific uh, on uh, on Saturday. They didn't not, not only did the Riders get eight sacks, they didn't allow one, and they very rarely was Cody Fajardo uh, pressured. There were a couple of times when Dylan Wynn created a bit of <laughs> bit of heat, but that's what Dylan Wynn is going to do for the for the most part. Logan Furland handled Dylan Wynn really well. Now with Edmonton, they're just going to be. I mean, again, it's Chris Jones, it's the mad scientist, and it's going to create some issues for them pass protection wise because of the sheer unpredictability of what they do. So that'll be an interesting test for the riders offensive line. Can they keep Cody Fajardo clean for a second, uh, a second week in a row? Or does Chris Jones opt to say, um, because Cody also likes to get rid of the ball really quickly. Does Chris Jones opt to say, well, we might not be able to get to him anyway, because a lot of their throws are delivered, delivered in 1.5, 1.2 seconds. So do they hang back in coverage and go with a three-man rush and nine-man coverage and just dare Cody Fajardo to be precise underneath or dare him to try and go over the top 
as he did successfully against Hamilton when they've got people hanging back? Do the riders have to guard against being greedy, uh, depending upon what Chris Jones does? If he if he tries to zing him with the with the blitz, we've seen what Cody Fajardo can do. That pass to Jacob Prawl for 33 yards into yeah. uh, when they read the blitz, Jacob Prawl ran the Prawl on ran the post 33 yard gain. So they've shown they can beat the blitz with Cody Fajardo quarterbacking. Hamilton didn't really blitz, I think, as much as Chris Jones could or might. So there's going to be a bit of a, I think it's going to be a little bit less predictable what the riders are facing. How do they, how do they deal with that? Do you think the riders dodged a bullet on that hit by Simone Lawrence on? Uh, oh, absolutely. And I've watched you know, that and I don't think that was a flagrant hit. I no. really don't. Um, I mean, that was, um, you know, Cody wasn't sliding feet first. And that was a lot more bang, bang than the Zach Kalaros hit that opened the 2019 season was it worth a penalty yeah but i don't think i don't think there was a clear uh um i don't think there was there was clear malice or an intent to injure i think that's just somebody playing hard and and uh the timing didn't work out in his favor i don't i didn't really have a lot of issue to take with that hit i think uh, it's i may it's be in simone the minority Lawrence, so it's simone that's the thing you he's know got a, i mean you, see, you love him as a defensive player he's a tackler he covers everything he does everything well he just plays on that edge goes over the line some days and I don't know how he pulls up from that one because you said Cody dove. Yeah, that was his... really bang bang. Now could he have could there have been less of a blow up high? Possibly, but again, you're talking a split second decision in a game that's being played quickly and aggressively. Mur, we got a pretty much wrap here, up here. Yeah. Any final words? I make that sound like a eulogy. Uh, anything uh, <laughs> you'd like to say like to say in, in closing before you prepare for the next sixty five years of your life? <laughs> <laughs> Did it spin out of that one okay? I, I think the CFL trotted out a pretty good weekend to kick things off other than the BC game. And even lots of people yeah. watch the end of that one. And uh, and even the BC game, Nathan Rourke, 23 yeah. for 29, seven carries for 78 yards. Like, my goodness, that was amazing. Anyway, sorry. Good weekend for the CFL. And uh, good to see Candy. I haven't seen her since Always is she week. cute. Always oh, she If I could ever get sorry. my cats to leave the basement, I'd show my cats, but they don't like to have anything to do with podcasts oh oh you're so cute no, yeah, well we're candy and i are going to sign off now with the regular sign off um aren't you cute um if you enjoy the podcast please leave a review at a five-star rating it helps us grow the podcast or the podcast you can subscribe to the show on apple podcasts don't yawn candy and it's exciting stuff you can subscribe to the show on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstoneatpostmedia.com. Candy doesn't yet have an email address, and we'll read it on the show. You can follow me, Rob, on Twitter, at Rob Vanstone, or Murray at, at MurrayLP. And don't send Murray Mandrick uh, emails <laughs> or texts, or pardon me, uh, Twitter tweets at, at MurrayLP. That's Murray McCormick's address. That is a request for the day. We don't need uh, people commenting on scott moe or ryan miley or the ndp on at murray lp that's a <laughs> primarily a football twitter yeah. account right 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 and food we get back in the food yes absolutely so for uh we'll do this again next week it should be i'm sure there'll be lots of lots to talk about after oh, the edmonton be, game yeah. there's a million angles murray's going to edmonton this week and we'll uh i'm looking forward to what he's got to got to say in conversation with Chris Jones and what he hears in return. So for uh, Murray McCormick, uh, for my beautiful candy, I'm Rob Vanstone and we will do this again. Uh, and for Austin Davis, our producer, and Creed and Martell, we will do this uh, next week. Thanks so much for your time today and take care.